2: Hello, and welcome to Film Chat. It's a special episode of the podcast this week. We're calling it Film Podcast Movie. It's going to be an extremely broad parody of lots of different podcasts, all thrown together, almost at random. You probably thought this sort of thing went out of fashion after 2008's Disaster Movie, or 2010's Vampires Suck, or 2013's The Starving Games. But no, it's back. We've got an enormous number of people you've never heard of doing impressions of people you have heard of doing silly things. Like, there's going to be a bit where someone kicks Ricky Gervais in his bum, and a bit where Mark Maron falls over and hurts his face, and a bit where Sarah Kaney drops a pie into her lap, and it's all going to be tremendously... That actually sounds like an absolutely terrible idea. Let's just do a normal podcast where we sit around and talk about films. Yeah, good plan. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me is the man who discovered that if you watch The French Connection backwards and at 30 times normal speed, it sounds exactly like the Little Mix song, How You Doin', Danny Moran.
0: <laughs> Hello. It is easy to source but hard to watch week on Film Chat as we <laughs> review two films that are just a few clicks away on your laptop but are uncompromising in their depiction of brutality. We start by reviewing Cartel Land, a documentary all about Mexico's ever escalating drug war. It's a film so shocking. It made me want to hide behind a 670-mile-wide wall. And I came to my senses realised that was totally fucking nuts. Then I reviewed Beasts of No Nation, probably the least appropriate film to Netflix and chill to, though ironically it is produced by Netflix and, <laughs> and available exclusively on Netflix. The irony. We then, in our typical liberal way, check out all the latest news stories covering racism, misogyny, and mermaids. All of which gives us just enough time to premiere a one off segment where you, the listener, listen to us, listen to all the previous episodes of Film Chat in a move Shia LaBeouf has called weird. <laughs> Let's start the show. Let's do it! Woo. <laughs> films, 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 films,
1: films, films, lots of films, 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 movies, good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, 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 Films we love, weird films, last one, trier films, old films, new films, some John Wu films, films that star Peter Fitch.
0: Chris Young brought our attention to the weirdly named Sophie's Choice Restaurant. Mm. And I uh, challenged our listeners to think of other unconventional movie tie-in eateries. Yeah.
2: Because if you were going to theme your restaurant after a film, would you choose a harrowing Holocaust movie to do that? Yes. Or do you think that they named it by coincidence because there was someone called Sophie and that was her favourite restaurant? That sounds more likely... Like Sophie's Choice restaurant. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Actually, looking at the small print here, there's, <laughs> there's an apostrophe and a space and a comma. Yeah. All kinds of bunch of <laughs> Yeah, it's an odd one. Like a, like a Showa sushi stop or something? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Jazzy Bagger, who we were so keen to hear from. Keen to hear for, and glad that he, I've been waiting for you to know, call <laughs> in, Jazzdeep. Um, suggested full metal jacket restaurant. The restaurant staff do press-ups while you eat your dinner, and someone looks like R.L. Ermery shouts at you. Or kill Bill restaurant, where there is no bill. <laughs> if I had a choice, I'd go for the latter. The I, latter? <laughs> something to say that.
1: If I had a choice
2: in the restaurant, I'd choose the latter.
0: The latter, please! so i'm so used to ordering lattes yeah I see yeah. the word latter
2: you see the word later and just like latte <laughs> latte <laughs> <laughs> what kind of coffee is that yeah that's good good suggestions i'm surprised that his full jacket restaurant doesn't like it's not full metal jacket potato that's what i was sort of expecting. you missed a
0: trick there Jasdeep. yeah thanks for running in but come on step up your game but
2: the kill bill one i think there's a lot of mileage in that i think a restaurant in which they don't charge you for the food people that's gonna be very popular Yeah, I think that's going to go down with the consumer public. Absolutely, that's a great deal, isn't it? Through the cost, absolutely nothing. (laughs) They give you the bill, and then someone just comes over with a huge samurai sword (laughs) and just fucking, or they just sort of do the five point Death Star thing, exploding palm move, the exploding palm thing that she does in it to the bill. (laughs) Um, Is there any
0: food in Kill Bill? Like featured food?
2: uh, I don't know. She probably,
0: I don't know. Actually,
2: I was about to say that she probably eats sushi. There's a bit where. where, um,
0: Vivica Fox is, like, making cereal. Yeah, yeah. to start. Yeah, so what? They serve cereal there? But, they, well, yeah, but they don't charge for it. Well,
2: They could have Japanese food. You could have, sort of, um, American so- West... Southern cuisine. Southern cuisine, yeah, that kind of thing. Because she sort of goes there. The East and West fusion. So it's like a suburban household <laughs> for breakfast. It's like it's like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You get a different thing. If you go there for breakfast, you have cereal. They only have one <laughs> kind. <laughs> <laughs> if you go there for lunch it's like whatever they eat in the south I don't know chicken barbecued meat of oh, well, various like gravy kinds gravy and
0: biscuits yeah
2: uh, when there's not actually
0: biscuits it's like that dough thing
2: yes exactly that kind of thing the gravy and the biscuits and that whatever they have there <laughs> and then if you go there for dinner then it's like a Japanese place and you have sushi but someone cuts off your head at the end of the meal and uh... <laughs> keep going no <laughs> perfect not that not that these
0: improv classes that are paying for themselves I know
2: I know I had, um, uh, had to um, pay to get myself to be good at podcasting.
0: And Dougal suggests Touching the Void, Pie and Mash Shop. Yeah, Not I possibly really sure. that suggestion. So you go to the Pie and Mash Shop with a friend, and at some Wait. point he's, he's injured himself in a Wait. hangover crevasse? I've got it, right?
2: The, um, in the movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, he makes pie into a mountain, right? Yes. Sorry, mash. He yeah. doesn't make pie into a mountain, he makes mash into a mountain. And Touching the, the void. void is about a mountain, so that's why.
0: Yes, all the mash comes in the shape of a mountain. Yes,
2: brilliant. And the, the and the pie comes in the shape of a kind of um, helicopter aid uh, <laughs> crew. Yes, <laughs> to rescue him at the end. Yes,
0: excellent suggestion, Daniel.
2: <laughs> brilliant, Danny. Do you have any any ideas for um, this?
0: How about uh, like a face-off? style restaurant where you order like two meals <laughs> and then you switch the top layers <laughs> excellent so you get like the top of a lasagna on... <laughs> <laughs> like over a sort of chicken pot pie <laughs> chicken pot pie on top yeah. of the chicken <laughs> pot pie over lasagna
2: that's really good you have to order the stuff with off them he's got to have a face yeah. the meal has to have a face yeah yeah that's excellent i was thinking like an all-you-can-eat buffet themed after bradley cooper's film limitless <laughs> but all the food is in pill form <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> like gonna and only like give you nutrition for an hour and it wears off yeah but it's really good for you <laughs> astoundingly good for you
0: that be so fucking dumb I'm they give you when this.
2: you go to the restaurant they give you a sudoku before you start your meal and you're like bad and then at the end of the meal they give you another sudoku and you're much better at it
0: yeah it's just an easier sudoku <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah but they don't realise they don't realise because you've marked the, the, the one the, the easier one is marked insane you know and that the, the one you get at the beginning is marked easy but it's actually fiendish <laughs> I've, really worked, I've really thought about it a lot
0: Brilliant Brilliant yeah.
2: Anyway thanks My for best. your suggestions guys. Cheers guys Thanks Yet yeah, more Dougal He's the kind of hero Of this week's correspondence section Well on, Dougal Thanks Dougal Dougal wrote in To give us some feedback On Spectre It's been a while Since we've had a listener Tell us what they thought Of a movie that we'd previously reviewed So that's quite good Yeah thanks Dougs We gave Spectre What I can only describe As a negative review I would say
0: We shout on it Sam
2: Dougal's a bit more positive He says Dear Film Chat I saw Spectre today it was pretty good. The action was quite fun. Looked nice. Leia Sedu was almost a 2.5-dimensional character. I think the weak point was actually Christoph Waltz. Not his acting, but his character. I didn't get it, although I did like when he said Information is all. Wouldn't you agree? The film did a good job of recycling a lot of old Bond movies, so much so that Caroline Lucas fist-bumped me across the aisle. When I saw The Meteorite, I said that is going to form the basis of an existential metaphor, and it did. I think Leia Sedu could have had a bit more to do, but the film also did what no film should ever do, ever, which is get me to try to remember what the fuck happened in Quantum of Solace. Much love. He also says, I really recommend Peckhamplex. It's 4 for an adult ticket and a really nice cinema. Cool. So a little plug for the Peckhamplex there, which is indeed quite a nice cinema and the cheapest one in London, located in Peckham, and I reckon you, I, I, as well as do recommend checking it out. Um, so, do you agree with him on Spectre?
0: No, you're completely wrong, Douglas. It's a piece of shit. Never listen to this podcast again. We fucking hate you.
2: I thought do was more of a sort of 1.75 dimensional character. Um, I don't know if dimensions come in fractions, but... If they did, she'd be within between 1 and 2.
0: I can't imagine any of these characters existing outside the movie.
2: Yeah, I can't really imagine them <laughs> existing outside an advert for a perfume or watch. Or something like that. Or a nice, or a expensive brand of shoe. But, um... But, Yeah.
0: I don't know he seems more positive I think all the what good points there are, are just mired and just a bog of just shit so
2: but you have to admit that it's pretty um green minded of them to recycle tropes from other movies that's true they're not wasting them they're putting them to good use
0: absolutely mm. <laughs> well <laughs> well that's the end of the correspondence let's move on to the news yeah. cue the jingle Sam
1: Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. Emma Chamberlain's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep's Oscar tips, Matt Damon's in a viral vid,
0: Michael Pace made
3: a mint. That's the news that's been to print.
0: So, yet another news item about Disney remaking something they own. Uh They're going to do a live action version of Little Mermaid, the popular 90s cartoon. Yeah. Chloe Grace Moretz is going to star Hit Girl from Kick-Ass. But now she's like, she must be on the verge of kick womanhood now. Yes. How old is she? Must be pushing 20. Well, she's right?
2: transferring from hit to kick, like, because she becomes too old for hitting.
0: What was, what's her name? Hit Girl, right? Hit Girl. Yeah, but woman. you were like, she's kick, she's kick woman. She's kick woman. Like, he's kick ass because he's a bit <laughs> oh, older right, than her. so I'm confusing the stuff. Yeah. Anyway, she's going to be Little Mermaid, and it's been announced that Richard Curtis is going to write the script a live action version
2: but would he direct her because the man's an absolutely visionary director
0: you know i'm a bit worried about richard curtis with this material i think richard curtis is a bit of a pervert controversial you... decision controversial decision i've made in my mind <laughs> he's a pervert <laughs> why what's the basis for? okay right his last three films are kind of pervy okay love actually the whole andrew lincoln subplot he's stalking his it's best it's creepy friends. as hell that's, creepy a, as hell. Yeah, that's really creepy creepy right in The Boat That Rocked, there's a scene where the lead, the Hugh Grant type, who isn't Hugh Grant, forget the actor's name, plots of Nick Frost to lose his virginity by Nick Frost having sex with his girlfriend in his room. And when it's dark, these other guys are going to take over. And it's played for laughs. That's a really—that's horrible. Fucking creepy, right? Yeah. And then in About Time, uh, it starts off. He's like, in time travel, like, I'm going to use it for love. And he just uses it to, like... Uh, be good at sex and, like, sort of manipulate situations to his advantage. It's a bit like in Groundhog Day if he never learned his lesson. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, he doesn't learn how to be a good person. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to... Richard Curtis with a young woman wearing, like, like, a bra water. There's
2: there's a bit in Notting Hill when he, like, tapes Julia Roberts going into his bookshop um, and uh, (laughs) watches it later and jerks off.
0: Kind of yeah. Himself. So and that's a bit weird, isn't it? Curtis of that sort of, mat- you know, with his mindset, a young woman in a sort of shell bra, lot of, you know, underwater, yeah. and she's absolutely naked from the waist down, isn't she? Unless you well, regard we'll the body of a fish as clothes, which it obviously isn't. So I fear for um, Chloe Grace Moretz's dignity.
2: I, yeah. D- will they still have a giant evil octopus woman?
0: I don't know, villain. but I hope there's a sort of Jamaican crab thing. <laughs> Sebastian, is he a lobster <laughs> or a crab? It's a crab, isn't it? That's it's a very philosophical
2: question, Danny. <laughs> no one really knows the answer to that. Are they, do you think they're going to go more like down the um, Hans Christian Andersen route of a really horrific story with a really deeply unpleasant ending? I don't know if you're familiar with the original fairy tale, but it's worth checking out on Wikipedia because it's very dark, and uh, there's a whole thing about how... Um, when she gets her human legs, it feels like walking on swords or something like that. It's like agony for her to do it. And she's forced to dance with the prince and she has to pretend like, you know, she's doing Christ. this graceful ballroom dance, but it's like, you know, horrible and it doesn't have a particularly happy ending. And it's all very not nice. You know, it's not like the Disney cartoon. Jesus. Um, yeah, it's a tough... It is still called The Little Mermaid, which really sounds adorable. I
0: can't imagine Richard Curtis writing the ending where she's surviving in agony
2: in a dance sequence.
0: Doesn't really seem...
2: Not part of his M.O., is it?
0: Well, I guess he wrote the end of of 4. That's quite sad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so That's a good point. His <laughs> chief inspiration for The Little Mermaid is going to be the last 30 seconds of of 4. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I look forward to seeing how that turns out. Me too. That's definitely gone straight to the top of my list of films I'm <laughs> looking forward to. Kettis in the Mermaid. Brilliant. <laughs> Danny, you remember the film Exodus Gods and Kings, don't you? Remember it?
0: I'm watching <laughs> it right now. And
2: I, <laughs> I thought, fucking live that true. film,
3: bro! I loved that
2: movie.
0: I never saw it, but I remember it.
2: I didn't see it either, but one of the things I do remember about it is that there was a bit of controversy over whitewashing because the whole film was set in ancient Egypt and most of the characters, the main characters, were white yeah right christian bale and um what's his face joel Joel edgerton Edgerton. yeah and uh they're both white but they were playing egyptian characters who probably wouldn't have actually been white because egypt is in africa so hollywood does not appear to have learned that lesson come on Hollywood. Uh, either from the fact that exodus gods and kings was probably not that good and i don't know if it was that successful um but they're sort of going back on that territory with a film called Gods of Egypt, which I had never heard about until I read this controversial story about it, but it seems to be quite a major new Lionsgate film. Um, according to the Guardian story on it, they are hoping that it will pick up the post-Hunger Games slack um, now that that big franchise is coming to end. They want a whole series of Gods of Egypt movies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they've released a few posters for the film. It sort of looks a bit um, uh, Percy jackson Right, you know, okay. Except so they're all gray's... adults, so it doesn't uh, quite have okay. the same for kids tone, um, although perhaps it is. And this movie as well has come under fire for whitewashing, um, as the main characters are Jared Butler and Nikolai Costa-Waldau. And it's almost like a real kind of fuck you to the critics of um, Exodus, Gods and Kings, because do you get any more white than Scandinavian? <laughs> it's like one of the, the whitest races in the it, world because it
0: just sounds like the straight to dvd knockoff of exodus gods and kings
2: yeah it really does actually yeah it's even got the word like, gods like yeah. in the title and everything yeah but i think it's a. oh sorry kicked okay, something i think it's a uh a kind of clash of the titans type thing but in right. egypt so like we've done ancient greek yeah you know, how about egypt yeah, you know? ancient Egypt. So it's like Ra and... Uh, Ra, yeah? Ra. Ra, Ra and... Um, and like Anubis. Horas. <laughs> Horas. Anorbaas. Anorbaas.
0: <laughs> yeah, sounds totally great.
2: And all the top ones. Um, and they've got Chadwick Boseman. He's in it. Recently cast as Black Panther. Um, so he's one non-white character. But even that has come um, under fire... Because he's playing the god Thoth, and people suggesting it plays into a kind of magical negro, sort of right. shaman kind of stereotype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's an incredible poster of uh, nine Chadwick Bosemans, all doing different poses, all looking cool in like their god robes. I guess he has many forms or something. Cool. Is he the sort of Loki of Egypt? So I don't know enough about Egyptian mythology to guess.
0: It's odd that this is going to be the replacement of Hunger Games. Remember we had that successful <laughs> franchise with a strong female protagonist? What a bunch of old guys yeah. duking it out in the desert. <laughs> like, what's, what's the similarity? Just a similar release date. Yeah,
2: okay. do you ever get that feeling when you look at a poster for a film and you're like, this will flop. No one will see this.
0: <laughs> I think just the word "thaw" <laughs> <laughs> is very funny to me.
2: Yeah, it might have worked in ancient Egypt, but in terms of movie markets... They call marketing, me Thaw.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: It's a pretty, pretty lame name. Is it slightly hard to say? Thoth,
1: thoth. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a
0: thing... Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So
1: Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Finally, the Gamergate controversy which kicked off, has it been this year? It feels like erupted.
2: It's... It might have erupted last year, I think. Yeah. Which it's, um, it's
0: probably too complex to go into much detail in. But basically, it was a situation where a female game designer was accused of sleeping with journalists to get good reviews by her douchebag ex-boyfriend, and it became a hot button issue among a very a sort of closed minority of misogynist uh, nerds. Yeah, and it erupted, and uh, prominent female uh, video game designers and uh, uh, reporters on the subject were harassed and uh, their and addresses
2: and exposed, and also it was of like things. awful, really. Yeah.
0: And uh, anyway, so this has been uh, the woman in question, Zoe Quinn. Yeah, is the woman in question Zoe Quinn is releasing a book, I think next year about it. But it's sort of already a huge hot property. So a GamerGate movie's in the works, and Scarlett hansen is in talks to star. Mm. I mean, I'm sort of excited by it just because of how angry the internet's going to be about this movie. Yes, The nerves are going to be up in arms.
2: I want to see what they, like... Well, I guess the f- if they're casting Scarlett Johansson, who's, you know, sort of glamorous actress, sounds like they're going to take the, the sort of feminist angle on it. Yeah. You know? Also, they're basically on a Zoe Quinn's book. It would be yeah. a bit shitty of them to, like, adapt her book and then take, like, the other side. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. There's that, there's this interesting character in the whole thing. It's one of those things you can really get into if you want to, or just follow Graham Linehan on Twitter because he, you know, periodically mentions it, but it turned into a massive, the amount of material on the internet over this thing is just insane. Yeah. But one of the sort of interesting characters, is this guy called Milo Yanopoulos or something like that. And he became a kind of minor celebrity over the whole Game of Gate, um, business. And he is a, a incredibly vain, um, outspoken, uh, He's a kind of internet, um, angry raconteur guy. He's like a more um, slick version of a right-wing American talk show host, you know? Right. Um, and he says a lot of really provocative stuff and takes photos of himself in like sunglasses and that kind of thing.
0: Sounds pretty cool.
2: He sounds pretty cool. I me. he sounds like he could, you know, he sounds like he practically is a movie character, to me. He, yeah. He, be, he is trying to become, he's always trying to be larger than life, you know? He's trying to see how much <laughs> larger than life he can be.
0: Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, it's good they're making a movie of it, I think. Because it's the sort of thing which was huge on the internet, but not really reported in the mainstream news so much. Who do you think would be good to, to handle it? I don't know who would be good to handle it. Who's, who's really smart? And computer savvy.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess someone you want someone young, right? I think Woody Allen would be the right choice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Dear Anita, I think you should be raped. Terrible. <laughs> your, your views about Zelda are just all over the place. And... <laughs> Princess like, Peach is a minor character, you don't know what you're talking about.
1: You've, uh, you're overweight, and you're unattractive to men, and you're unlikely to convince any of them to sleep with you, <laughs> and um, you deserve uh, to have awful, terrible things happen. <laughs> just, just, you know, disastrous, all the food <laughs> in your fridge rotting, and uh, you know, damp the walls, and just... Plagues stricken your family,
0: and <laughs> anyway, the nicks are down. <laughs> yeah. Three points, so yeah. I gotta go. But I hope <laughs> you get raped. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe not yeah, Woody.
2: So he'd be wrong, he'd be actually wrong for it.
0: Someone, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Who do you think would be good for the Game of Gate community? We can't like think now? of anyone. Let
2: it run and let us know, guys. Let so us know. You said you're from this point. Knows about computers, yeah. i maybe not Jason Reitman. Sam Esmail, the writer and creator of Mr. Robot. He knows about computers, right? He must do, yeah. It's yeah. all computers and that. And <laughs> it's computers and that. Get him to do it. People say things like computer terms, don't they? They say RAM and like, keyboard and things like that. Like, what really about Aaron Sorkin?
0: Terms. He likes making films about people who know about no, computers. No, please, no.
2: <laughs> oh, my God, no. He's the worst possible person to do it. But he's
0: great at writing douchebags. All his characters are dicks. Yeah, but the
2: women will be shitting it. That's it's good all point. about women.
0: Get Matthew Warner to write the female parts and Sorkin to write the douchebags. Yeah. No, I think they need to get a woman to write it actually that is a good point yeah to write it.
2: <laughs> they should they should
0: probably I'm anyway. to me so long to realise that <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I don't know who Catherine Bigelow she can add some sort of guns to it but give it a broader give it a broader audience yeah
0: she won't make a film without any guns in it no 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 not Bigelow <laughs> not Bigelow yeah alright anyway. well we've waited on far too long yeah let's do some reviews yes let's do that Ooh,
3: time for
2: a break from all the film chat have a cup of tea
3: know where
2: she is at. chat. So Danny and I had a film chat date this week. We went to see a screening of a film called Cartel and a documentary that was being hosted by Verso Books. Um, in the Horse Hospital, Bloomsbury. It's a very cool place, full of wonderful horses. Get horses well soon fantastic. Um and, uh, yeah, it's a documentary film. It came out early this year. I think you've probably got a small cinematic um, release, but uh, you, listener, can now find it online if you should so choose. Um, it's directed uh, and you know, produced by a guy called Matthew Heineman. who's a documentary filmmaker who um, decided to make a film about um, vigilantes on the border of Mexico and the United States who were uh, taking the law into their own hands. I think that was like the initial idea of it because he read a Rolling Stone article about um, a group of uh, sort of armed guys in... Um, uh, is he in Arizona? He is, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, in, in Arizona, who um, have decided that the federal government is not able to prevent all the Mexicans coming into their country, and they need to take matters into their own hands and sort it out themselves with their own guns and camo gear and all that kind of thing. And so he filmed them, and he, he also um, went into Mexico and started filming there um, where they have groups um, of citizens who have acquired guns from somewhere and decided to fight back against the drug cartels because the government is not able to rein them in themselves. Um, and the Mexican stuff is where the kind of meat of the documentary is. And the the um, the footage he got there was kind of so amazing that the Arizona stuff almost seems like a slight sideshow by comparison. And that the sort of initial idea of these two different groups of people who are operating in the grey area of the law um it doesn't like it's not quite as uh it's not quite as much about that now just because um it's so the mexico stuff is so powerful um but it's really an amazing piece of work it reminded me a little bit of um the joshua oppenheimer documentary we saw recently the look of silence um in that in both cases they're both about really really awful things and like the the violence in mexico is completely out of control and insane um and um they're both very powerful and very emotionally um devastating and also the filmmakers manage to get themselves into uh they just seem to have um be so embedded in that world and people just open up to them and they have seen such uh, sort of private things i don't know it seems like stuff that you can't imagine that they got yeah. caught them on film it's like how did that guy get in that situation and well, how are they being so open about it Absolutely. Um it starts with the guys making crystal meth um and talking to him very, very openly about it. it. Seems it's almost like David Simon wrote their dialogue, you know. It's It like, is
0: um, yeah, it, it reminded me of the wire in that there's the government, the cartels, and this the sort of vigilante mob, as yeah. they're branded by the, me- the press, um, yeah. but like the sort of this the citizens, this, this citizens social
2: movement, yeah, gang, yeah. Thing, yeah.
0: And basically as the story unfolds, it's obvious that they all like have much of a muchness and they all operate on the same they're all beholden to somebody up further down the chain. They all have yeah. corruption at some part. Yeah, corruption Organized is absolutely endemic and yeah. And it's just like this system that plays out in a secular fashion and people go with the best intentions and it's you know, it's such a cliche that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And I think what's sort of um, if this was a fiction film, you'd accuse it of being a bit cliched. The way and the way that it sort of way turns it at the end, yeah. But the fact that it's real just makes it even more and yeah. because of like the, the way the narrative goes in such a sort of inevitable doomed way yeah yeah it's absolutely amazing
2: well, it's made in a very self-consciously cinematic way and the, the music in it is um something that you would have in a fiction film you know when there's like an exciting like bit of it when there's a like, kind of a bit of gunplay then the uh, cool music kicks in uh, but then It almost seems a bit weird because there's all this exciting music and guitars and stuff like that. And you're thinking, uh, but he is actually there and people are actually firing real guns. Yeah. Um, And uh, there's some quite unpleasant violence in it Um, and some really amazing tense scenes. There's also got a fantastic documentary subject in the form of someone called Dr. Jose Mirales, who is the kind of leader of um, the auto defense Ass, which is the citizens vigilante group. Um, that he follows in Mexico. And when he when he when he first started to film them, he was uh, they were sort of just starting out um, and he was just kind of the most charismatic one. And he kind of became the leader. And the, he's their kind of spiritual guru, almost. You know, people really love yeah, him. T-shirts. He's very charismatic. People really love him. They, they sort of look up to him, adore him. And he's uh, he's their Obama. You know, he sort of talks yeah, to them yeah, about yeah. um Taking control of their own lives and uh, fighting back against the, the the gangs and stuff, and he sets his group very much apart from the cartels as a totally different kind of thing. Even though they're all ridiculously heavily armed and uh, <laughs> and, get, and getting into fights that kind of thing, yeah. Then you sort of see how his—it's hard to say how genuine his vision um, is. The beginning, though, it seems like it is, but you kind of see how that becomes a bit corrupted uh, as the film goes on. Yeah,
0: as you alluded to earlier, like the Arizona section is almost, um, I think it's sort of justified. There's an argument to be made that it's like a bit superfluous, but I think um, it serves a purpose in that it's a nice break from this sort of inevitable charging narrative of the Mexico section. And um, as you were saying, like these sort of slightly misguided Americans think they're like defending the world against all this horror and they're like, they're in the thick of it but they're literally just like sitting on a mountain for hours on end. Yeah, nothing meanwhile, happens. Meanwhile, yeah. people are being blowtorched and beheaded like a few miles the other way south. Yeah, absolutely. and And it also it's sort of a interesting way of looking at how foreigners view Mexico. And although these people seem like extremists, they're not too far away from the mainstream media. And there's like clips from Fox News and uh, right-wing um, uh, US news outlets. And they view like... Mexico, kind of slightly rightly so, as this a lawless place, Yeah. and they're like they're all, you know, going to come to the border and kill everybody. But they really, everyone leaving Mexico are like nice people trying to like escape. Well, it's just it, when
2: you watch what's going on in Mexico, you're like, of course they want to get out yeah, of there. Yeah. It seems like you know parts of it. I mean, I, you know, I don't really know what it is. Obviously, it's all about the. um uh, the drug war, so that's obviously the focus of it, but it does give you the impression that parts of it are just like a war zone. And yeah. and it's crazy that they... that they're this group, there's just a citizen's group, and the army turns up to disarm them at one point, and they're just like, no. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. And the army's just like, okay, and they kind of turn <laughs> around and leave, and everyone cheers. And it's just baffling. There's sort of politics of it. Like, you don't really... The, the, he doesn't, there's no na- there's no narration in the documentary, so you don't know uh, the details you're kind of figuring it out as you go along, and you're in the narrative and you can understand the narrative, but in terms of the um exactly how the, you know these things work, you don't really know there's a lot of contextual information that's kind of missing you're just kind of piecing it together.
0: yeah, I think in a way it's just um, it's a bit flippant to say like it fell into his lap, but it's like he started filming these guys, and like this narrative just emerged yeah. And it's a bit like, in the same way, uh, the characters, I mean, the real people, but the characters, you know, start off with the best of intentions and then they get like just the momentum of the thing just like takes them over in the same way you start off with these characters and then the momentum of the movement and the film just dictates its own way. Mm. And so um, it's almost like, I've already shot all this American stuff, I've got to put it in a bit. And I didn't mind it, I thought it was just enough to justify it.
2: I would definitely recommend it. I really recommend checking it out. It's fascinating. You can kind of approach it as um, a fiction film if, if you want. Um, yeah, Because no, the, the narrative is so gripping and some of the things that happen in it are so dramatic. Like the scenes that he captures on film are so dramatic. That, um, it's
0: a miracle he wasn't short. really.
2: Yeah, it is kind of amazing. <laughs> um, and there's only a few times when his camera is not really pointing at anything because obviously he's mainly thinking about not dying. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's an amazing piece of work. So if you go to cartellandmovie.com or .co.uk or
0: something like that. <laughs> we'll, post it on...
2: we'll post it. We can post it on, uh, on the Facebook page, but it's on various different streaming sites like um, iTunes and Google Play and Amazon Video and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's quite easy to get hold of.
0: Check it out. Guys. Check it out. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. what a
1: staggeringly brilliant? Was it lastingly poor? How Danny form judgment? We're about
0: to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So Sam, after I watched Cartel Land, I was like, do you know what I'm in the mood for? <laughs> a dramatization of a child's descent into becoming a horribly uh, mentally scarred child soldier in a uh, area of conflict in Africa. Brilliant. Um, so you got an appetite
2: for endless, pointless conflict.
0: That's that's my that's my bag, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I love. I'm hoping for like a sort of uh, Marvel-style multi-film, you know, with all the different conflicts and they like come together. So, uh, Beast of No Nation is the first movie Netflix has produced, and it's available on Netflix now. And I imagine forever because mm-hmm. they made it. I can't seem... That'd be weird if they took it off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is written and directed by Kari Fukunaga, who is the director of Sinombre Jane Eyre, and the, fir- the whole first season of True Detective. Uh, he's hot shit right no. now. And uh, it is it's based piping shit. Piping, piping hot shit at the moment. <laughs> and it's <is> based <laughs> on the book, the same name by... Apologies for my mangling pronunciation here. Uh, Yuzodima Iwulia, who is an American-Nigerian... And the plot is as follows. In an unnamed region of Africa, a young boy called Agu lives with his family. Um, it's not clear what part of Africa it is, but there's some sort of civil unrest. Uh, his uh, mother and sister manage to flee the, their village, but the, there's no room for the men in the few cars leaving the village, so they're forced to stay behind. And the army show up and essentially execute uh, everyone they can find. Agu runs into the jungle. And there he's discovered by a battalion of the rebel native defense force led by a character just called the Commandant, played by Idris Elba, and he is inducted into their ranks and becomes a child soldier. And the movie is basically...
2: And he finds it a rewarding career.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a bit like that. In the army.
2: It's like being in the Navy SEALs or something. It's tough, but it's It's rewarding. It's
0: like Starship Troopers, really. (laughs) Yeah, a lot like that. Uh, Yeah, and things go as you imagine they would. Here's a clip of Idris Elba delivering a speech to his ranks.
3: We have been defending ourselves against the killings and rapings of our own people from the PLF and now from the NRC junta. But it has awakened a sleeping beast. It has awakened the giant. It has put the weapons of this war back in the hands of you, the young, and therefore, the powerful. Young men, well, we will not wait to inherit any wealth. We will not wait for them to come and give it to us. No, sir. sir. We are going to take it. Yes, Yes, sir. We're going to take it from them. Yes, sir. Seize it. Yes, sir. All of you that have never been listened to before and have seen your family killed, you now have something that stands for you. You now have something that stands for you. That is your defense. Yes, blood. That is your family's blood. Yes, sir. Victory. 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 Victory! Victory! Victory!
0: Wonderful actor. He is great in this movie. So, I've got a bit of a weird history of this movie because I read the script mm. a year ago when I was an intern at Ealing Studios. And watching it, it's almost like Kari Fukunaga didn't read a sort of random report by uh, some intern that <laughs> never found into his hands. Because they um, haven't
2: created all the problems you pointed out. Yeah, I out. felt
0: very vindicated because I flagged all these concerns, and, and you still uh, have them. And I still have them. And my pithy review would be that it's a very technically impressive movie with some really uh, super strong performances by its leads and some uh, very well put together visual sequences. But it's uh, very much a Westerner's perception of African conflict, and it's a bit it's a bit shallow, I even though
2: it was. So the book is written by an American Nigerian. Yeah. But you feel like it doesn't have a kind it doesn't feel like it's
0: Well it's it's written by an authentic. A, yeah, an American Nigerian uh, who went to Nigeria and researched this in some depth. Yeah. And it feels the process of turning what must be several people's experience into a book. And then turning that book into a film, mm. the sort of reductive nature of it has taken the sheen of authenticity off.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like like happening in biopics as well, when uh, you take someone's real messy life and turn it into a movie, and it's suddenly yeah, that's corny exactly. And that's fake. it. Yeah. And
0: it's very much it's like everything you've seen from charity ad campaigns and news footage, and it's that's it. You know, you don't learn nothing new from it. Basically, it's like war is bad, is the basic message of the film. I think this is sort of summarised, as you heard in that clip, by the decision for the, all the uh, actors to speak in this sort of weird pidgin English, where obviously English isn't their first language, and it's like sort of the wrong tense. And it's odd, because in the film they talk in their native dialect at times, in the subtitles, and then when there's some plot scenes, uh, they're all speaking English. That's bizarre.
2: Yeah. Or, may- or I don't know, may- maybe in that area they just, you know, they, they code switch between English... Maybe, and-
0: but it's like the dialogue becomes, like, very simplistic and it doesn't ring true and you feel like the nuance has been lost in translation and the um the african country is never named deliberately so i think so it stands as like representative of like an entire sort of worldwide problem but it just compounds the sort of generalness of the movie and i think like specificity would have helped because you're not sure what's going on it's just like a general war and violence is happening and that makes the movie hard to engage with because it doesn't really have a plot it's yeah. very aimless
2: so you're not getting any like, historical knowledge, you're just finding out that people fighting is not good.
0: People fighting is not good. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to watch after Cartel Land because, as I was saying, if Cartel Land was a fiction film, you might think it was a bit cliched. But Beast of the Nation is a, is a fiction film and it feels cliched because of this. And even if it's all based on truth... It's still, you know, you have to somehow make that ring true. It's not enough to say, well, this actually happened. Yeah. You've got to convince your audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, have something new on it, some kind of new angle. It's structurally very meandering. There's a long prologue scene of the sort of happy family, which is uh, kind of corny on reflection, kind of slightly poor taste, because it just sort of exists to, like... <laughs> make it make it evident how terrible it is later that
1: family was one day from retirement
0: (laughs) well it is a bit like that and especially because like you don't know it's not there to set up the country or the political climate it's just there to establish they has a family yeah i I can't
2: wait for that farm we're gonna own one day
0: well yeah it's family who will be dead in 15 minutes yeah yeah and it's like it's like mom dad it's like pop yeah (laughs) And there's something a bit cheap about it, you know, as a sort of narrative technique. And then when Idris Elba turns up, the movie kind of kicks into gear because his descendant, a child soldier, is what the movie's about. And that prologue is kind of slightly unnecessary. And um, I was thinking about the movie just in terms of how the sort of general approaches to war films anyway. And a traditional approach to war films would be like a... um, Just like a drama where some horrible stuff happens. And then there's a different approach, which I guess is a more modern approach, which is like trying to put like the sensory experience of war and trying to put you in the trenches or the conflict and, you know, uh, using visual ideas to convey that. And this film owes a big debt to this Russian film called come and see, which I would really, it's like an amazing film and you'll know, come
2: and see what it is like to literally be in a war.
0: Yeah. You'll need like a strong drink afterwards. It's like a real, uh, it's a real experience. And, uh, yeah, I think the movie basically is most successful when it takes that approach. And there's, like, a sequence where, um, because the battalions take these sort of hallucinogenic drugs and are, like, a bit kind of high all the time, and, like, he sees, like, a war. It's, like, from his perspective going into the conflict. And, like, those kind of visual sequences really work. And Kari Fukunaga also shot the film, and he's got a background as a DOP, and he's got a real eye for striking images. Mm. And you feel that's where his talents lie. But around these scenes are these more plot orientated stuff, but the plot is deliberately vague, so it's very hard to get invested in. And also, though the lead, um uh Agu, played by newcomer Abraham Atta, is absolutely brilliant, it's he's a bit overshadowed by Idris Elba because Idris Elba just has more to do in the film and just by virtue of the narrative, he's like Egg is just a victim. He's, just, just, he's a bit passive. Just like it's just horrible stuff happens to him throughout the film. And that's it. And whereas Idris Elba has more to do. And he's like the super charismatic leader guy. And he's absolutely brilliant in it. And especially because his role is a bit ridiculous. In that he's like, it's kind of four evil characters in one. And his motivations are constantly shifting. And he's such a good actor. They somehow managed to make that work. (laughs) In lesser hands, I can imagine being terrible. Abraham Atta is really good because, basically, the sort of descent from child into brutal killer happens quite quickly and there's a point about an hour in the movie where it's like peaked in horrificness and more stuff happens but essentially once you've done one horrific act anything after that is sort of just borderline gratuitous yeah and it's impressive because his character has to do the same thing throughout the movie but the actor somehow does different stuff each time you know, oh, okay, like, yeah. the plot takes his character so far, but this actor is such a genius. He can somehow react to atrocities in different ways. And, you know, the movie hits 100 percent, but he, you know, how old is he? Game. I don't know. I mean, does he seem really young? Like, in, is... I think in the script, he's supposed to be like under 10. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how old the actor is. But did he sell that? kind Yeah, of absolutely. So I was a little underwhelmed by it. I think it's, it's kind of like a ballsy move to make these kind of movies because you have to sort of either do them really well or they're kind of unwatchable because they're so heavy. Like, who wants to watch, like, a quite good uh, child murdering film? Yeah, yeah. I think Kerry Fukunaga is, like, technically very skilled, but he lacks... doesn't really have a take on the material. It just comes a listening of horrors in beautiful colours and, you know, amazing camera work. Um, so I'd say if you're in for, like, a, you know, a good Charles Descended Madness uh, soldier movie, rent, come and see. Uh, I apologize in advance for how traumatised you will be but I think this is one to miss I would say what's
2: with all the rhymes Danny it's a litany of horrors and beautiful colours come and see I apologise for how traumatised you will be <laughs> there's been a real poetic lilt has entered your um, that's me man I realise horrors and colours isn't really a full rhyme but horrors and colours I thought it was close enough my favourite
1: film stars Bridget Bardo. she's the queen she wants to be in radio, so she starts a podcast
2: with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Idris Elba, as our listeners may have noticed if you've been following the podcast for a while, he likes to do songs that are related to the stuff that he's done. Yeah. His favourite role that he's ever played is obviously Luther. It kind of is Luther, isn't he, Interest, basically? Yeah. I think he sees himself as a, quite a Luther-like character. And he released an album called Murder Loves John, uh, which was all sort of Luther-based rap songs and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he took it upon himself uh, to write a song for his latest movie, Beats of No Nation. Yeah. Because that's a very important role to him as well. And he gave it the name Beats of No Nation for obvious reasons. And I think you should have a listen to it.
0: <laughs> Let's hear it.
2: Yeah. It's a brilliant song. It's a truly a wonderful song. Check it out.
1: Beatrice in the jungle in my toughest role yet I make Luther look as friendly as a household pet Everything I do is outrageously nasty I'm a killer and I'm also into pedo Rusty. Before you met me you thought you hated war I'll make you hate it more than you did before I've got a squadron of kids in a sunny location I don't know where it is, that's why they call it No Nation Listen to the beats of No Nation Murder and strife that you can stream when you like These are the beats of No Nation you better get ready for the lots of harrowing war People think of Africa as miserable and poor A world of horrors and starvation without peace or law Time for us to show you how things really are They're exactly like you thought, except they're worse by far Welcome to hell, son! I'm sorry to tell ya I'm worse than Stringer Bell, and I'm nothing like Mandela. Listen to the beats of No Nation if you're nine years old, I want to get you involved These are the beats of No Nation You, you better, better get ready for a load of traumatising war Everything you see is bad No fun to be had Tragic in a thousand ways This film will make you cry for days That's the end of this one My new Luther film is coming out later this year So watch out for that, it's gonna be a corker Thanks
2: Wow, wow, wow I mean, at the time of recording, that song doesn't exist but
0: do you want me to do multiple reactions?
2: Yeah, just do give me a wow. give, give me the full wow. Wow.
0: Oh, wow, mm, it's pretty good. Um, not sure about that. Oh, that's bad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks, that's great. So, you can use any one of those? they do not very long, real snappy. They
0: didn't really leave much pauses in between them. Either. No, you didn't. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Oh, that's bad. Wow, I think that's excellent.
2: Thanks very much. Thank you. I worked very, very hard on it, or I will work hard on it in you the mean future. Idris worked hard on it? Sorry, you didn't let me finish. I, Idris <laughs> Elba, worked very hard on it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I forget he pronounces his name that way. Idris Elba.
2: <laughs> yeah. It starts with the letter I, his name. Yeah. Yeah, and when I say you didn't let me finish, I mean, what I like to do is say the first letter and then the whole rest of the sentence and then polish off. the rest of that (laughs) word at the beginning
0: (laughs) I worked hard on (laughs) Nidris
2: I I worked really hard on Nidris I would have said if you hadn't interrupted me you idiot you total dick
0: sorry sorry
2: anyway so next week's gonna be our 50th episode Katie's back
0: Katie's back we're gonna do something we're gonna go for a drink somewhere Yeah, we're We're gonna
2: post details yeah we'll go for a drink there'll be a celebration there might be cake there'll be cake there might be cake you'll be invited um, and it will be fun so yeah yeah what, come yeah come yeah come yeah
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> alright see you later guys bye Bye. let's do it
0: you hey, talk about where he comes from the location of him the accent you've given him there are hints to me of Irish but what have you what, what were you thinking of in those terms
3: you've got dead ears mate you've seriously got dead ears yeah, I think that's an Irish accent um so um,
1: so uh I just, I'm a little dumbfounded that you could possibly find any Irish in that character that's kind of ridiculous, but it's your show. Well,
0: so you're going for, well, no, just you're going for Northern English.
1: No, I was going
0: for an Italian. Yeah, missed it. <laughs> the, um... Okay. i don't
3: get the Irish but